I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, not too much snark, no belief, no debunking. This is Encounter 50, Listener Question Extravaganza, Part 1. 50 episodes. This was unforeseeable, and my call for questions garnered a bunch of great stuff, and I think we'll be doing at least two episodes of this, just to make sure I get to everything, even the questions clearly intended as jokes. Let's get started. First up, Ren on Twitter as at Mr. Underscore Apple, A-P-O-L, um, <laughs> little Mothman prophecies handle there, asks the following. Would love to know if you have any cool contactee stories from Native Americans. <laughs> um, this is probably almost uh, certainly not what you're looking for, but I'm trying to respond to these with what's in my head rather than doing a bunch of research. So one of my favorite things to look at in this subject is uh, ufology's propensity for appropriating cultural and religious notions and symbols and whatever for its own use. And this goes back a long time, at least to guys like George Hunt Williamson back in the 50s. Anyway, back in the 1990s, there was a guy named Robert Morningsky, who was different from Robert Morningstar, who was another guy around in the 90s. And Robert Morningsky, while making it very clear he was not speaking for, quote, the Hopi elders, end quote, certainly acted and sounded like he was attempting to speak for the Hopi elders. He self-published a book called The Terra Papers, and I think there was a Terra Papers 2, Electric Boogaloo, in which he attempted to connect Native American cosmology, which was really a mishmash of a lot of different stuff together, with the star beings. Now, as to the contact story here... He claimed on a 1996 episode of The End of the Line, which was what Jeff Rentz's radio program was called at the beginning, he claimed that his grandfather and some fellow inhabitants of a Hopi reservation had rescued a star being who had crashed in the New Mexico desert in 1947, and that this had been, at least partially, corrupted into the modern Roswell myth. He claimed that his grandfather and other elders, and I don't know if here he was using elders in a general sense of old people or in a more specific sense of a leadership group, quote, knew that this star being was from the same group of star beings that had once upon a time been worshipped as gods by, quote, their people back in the day. The best part of this interview was Morning Sky's assertion that the Fox Alien Autopsy special had been deeply offensive to Native American people because of their, you know, uncaring, uh, un uncaring, you know, dissection of one of their gods or something. It was weird. Later on, uh, Morning Sky would declare the Hale-Bopp Comet to be uh, something he called the Blue Star Kachina and signaled a transformation of some kind. There's a great Coast to Coast AM interview with him about this. When that failed to pan out, 
he came back and discovered, in heavy sarcasm quotes, discovered the work being done um, by the authors of the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail. And he began to talk about the Templar conspiracy. And then he sort of faded from the scene. I think he's still around. Um, and I've decided just now that I need to do a Robert Morning Sky episode at some point. I'm also a little worried about what important things in my life I've forgotten about to make room in my brain for all of that stuff that just came off the top of my head. Okay, prominent uh, writer and artist Red Pill Junkie asks, I'd like to know if any weird synchronicity or strange happening has occurred to you while recording or producing the episodes. Um... I know how this sounds. I really, really know how this sounds. But I think I saw a shadow person, not while producing or, or recording, but shortly after. Um, it, it was weird, and I'm not really sure I have the words to describe it, but it was weird. I'm not sure shadow person is, is actually the, 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 the right thing, but um, it's the only thing that sort of comes to mind. It, it was weird, it, and I, it's probably all in my head which is even scarier, right? Um, Dr. Atlantis asks, or, or asks, I recently heard that Indrid Cold has died. Any thoughts on that? Ah, well, huge if true, right? So, Tanya, Woody Derenberger's daughter, posted on Facebook back in the fall that Indrid Cold, Carl Ardo, and one of the other Lanulosians with a silly name that I can't remember, all died. <laughs> I, I shouldn't laugh. You know, people have died. I will say this. Tanya seems deeply committed to the truth of her father's story, and also of her own account of Cold being some sort of outer space family friend. She, she sort of held to this for a very long time. If anyone would know if Cold and his pals bought it in a saucer crash or something, it would be Tanya. And um, I, I once again have to give a sort of lukewarm, half-hearted, read-it-if-you-want-I-guess uh, recommendation for her Beyond Lanulos book, which is, is, it's something. I mean, it's short, but it's, it's something. Okay, the, uh, the next one is from Indrid Lukewarm. You guys and your Mothman Prophecies style uh, Twitter names, huh? One of the old contactees claimed to have been shown or given a vibrating sphere of some kind and was told it was the power source for flying saucers. I can't for the life of me remember who it was. Do you? Nope. It sounds familiar, but I can't quite place it, and I will tell you this. Do not Google vibrating sphere. Um, just weird stuff, man. Uh, listeners, get in touch if you know about this. It sounds really familiar, um, but I, I just can't quite put my finger on what this was. Uh, next up, Red Pill Junkie is back with this question. If greys are fond of strawberry ice cream, which is kind of a, a deep ufological cut there, what sort of desserts are preferred by Nordics and reptilians? Nordics like caramel corn, reptilians like chocolate-covered grasshoppers. Okay, that, that's, that's it. That is authoritative. 
um, go ahead and disguise my voice and name me after a bird and put me on television because I am the expert on this. All right. Doc Pinko. Doc Pinko. What event has the best evidence? You know, the one that makes you go, geez, that almost makes me believe. Well, clearly, it is Al Bender's trip to the Kayak People's Antarctic Base. Next question. No, 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 no. Even even I can't pull off um, thinking anything in Flying Saucers and the Three Men was real in any way. Seriously, though, I don't... I'm not really thinking about it in terms of evidence and belief as much as um, there are some cases where I desperately want to know what actually happened. Regardless of what that ends up being, I want to know what really happened about some of these things. The two that really jump out in my mind. I want to know what Kelly Johnson saw. Clarence Kelly Johnson was an aerospace pioneer, worked for Lockheed, very smart man. What did he see when he was on a plane that was unconvincingly explained away as a lenticular cloud? I want to know what he saw because I don't think it was a lenticular cloud. Also, I want to know what the Flatwoods monster was because I don't think it was an owl. Um, I want to know. I want to know what the truth of that was. There's some cases, you know, like these that are that intrigue me so much and have explanations that are so lame that I just want to know more. Um, the Cash Landrum case is another one where, you know, I, I want to know. I, I I just want to know. I like Pascagoula, too. I just want to know. I I just want to know. Um, not because. I have a theory about what it is, but just because they're so weird. Uh, Doc Pinko has another question. Oh, oh, Mr. Cotter. Wow, that makes me feel old that I understand. What do you think of uh, Carl Jung's book on flying saucers? I admit I haven't read it yet, but do have a copy. I am in the same boat as you are, and I've read so many quotations from it, I feel like I've read it, but I have not. So that is on my list of books to read at some point. Okay, back to, uh, back to Indrid Lukewarm. Are you aware of any occupant sightings or contacts that were alleged to take place during very adverse weather conditions, specifically heavy rain, snow, or intense cold? I know I've read about some that have happened in rain. I am completely completely drawing a blank on snow or cold weather, though. So rain, yes, I'm almost positive rain. Aficionado prodigiosos, I think, says, do you have any advice for amateur saucer researchers in ufology or elsewhere? Ho-ho, I do. First, let's define our terms. If you're going to call yourself a researcher, do research. Talk to witnesses, dig into archives, draw logical conclusions based on the best available evidence, and present your findings for critique, review, and comment. If you're going to talk about other people's research, if you're going to theorize, if you are going to comment on current ufological events or be a storyteller, that's awesome. But that's not really 
research. There's a troubling trend of anyone who talks about flying saucers in any venue referring to themselves as a researcher, and it really devalues the whole thing. Um, I, I just, it, it really sort of, sort of irks me. Um, so research is, is, is a specific practice. That being said, um, my advice on, uh, for amateur researchers in ufology or elsewhere, uh, is, is the same as, as what I would say to, um, to anybody researching anything, uh, spend time digging into things that people aren't looked at are sorry, that people aren't looking at or haven't looked at in a while, or find something that you can look at in a new way. Undertaking or attempting to undertake original research into like Roswell would be really difficult. Aside from, you know, hey, let's try to read the Rainey memo again. I'm, I'm not sure what else is there. Find some unplowed land or, or land or, or a field that's that's been fallow for a while and start digging. Learn how to do effective FOIA requests. Learn how to interview witnesses without leading them. Learn how to go into an archive and use it effectively without looking and acting like a weirdo. Cite your sources. Don't plagiarize. Ask smart people for help and advice. Um, don't... Oh, I'm not sure how to say this without sounding, uh, sounding like I'm... I'm probably going to sound. You, you don't need to document every stage of, of your research and writing on social media. Uh, you, you just don't. Um, it's, it's much cooler to, uh, to say, hey, um, while I've been mentioning other things and just sort of being a normal person here on social media and talking to my friends and, and people or followers or listeners or readers or whatever, I've also been working on this, and this is what I've found. Um, I don't know. It's probably my age showing. UFO might just as well stand for unprecedented financial opportunity. Thanks, Jane. Um, that's another good point. You are not necessarily going to uh, get rich doing UFO research or doing anything in ufology. And I, I think the question, you know, it specified amateur researchers. Um, with very few except exceptions, I think in a lot of cases, ufology is an, is an amateur uh, is an amateur field in a lot of ways. Most people have day jobs of one sort or another. Joshua Cutchin asks, what is UFO? Uh, transportation for Bigfoot, most likely. He has a follow-up question. How is the UFO here? Well, we're here, so why shouldn't they be? And then he says, in all seriousness... I'd love to hear your thoughts on, if this phenomenon is objectively real, what do you think is the most likely explanation? So while still remaining healthily agnostic, outlining which hypothesis you think is most resonant? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I like the super spectrum idea. I like this notion that there's a reality sort of overlaying and underlying our own that leaks through at certain points. And, and that it's a reality that might work on different physical laws than ours or has, you know, physical laws that, you know, in its realm are normal. But when it leaks through ours, it doesn't quite work out that way. Sort of like, you know, somebody from Krypton with its red sun comes to Earth with, it, with its yellow sun. Uh, they're not subject to the same physical laws. 
I think something along those lines is the possibility that intrigues me the most. And um, it's sort of something that, uh, you know, would cover a lot of different weird things that have happened. If, If there's a weird reality where things leak through, sort of takes care of a lot of problems, like geographical sort of localized phenomenon taking place, for example. And and the fact that these things don't often act like things would, um, like we would expect, either their physical characteristics, it flew in a way no craft could fly, things like that, or, um, or, or beings that don't seem to, or entities or whatever, that don't seem to sort of understand how humans you know, behave and react and, and, and sort of have trouble fitting in. Uh, Tim Banal uh, of, of Banal of America, the, 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 the former great podcast, which still shows up from time to time with special episodes, Tim Banal says, if you could have dinner with three people from the Flying Saucer era, so to speak, who would they be? That is easy. Gray Barker, Al Bender, and Augie Roberts. And I'd slip sodium pentothal under their drinks and get a straight answer on the whole um, International Flying Saucer Bureau space review shutdown men in black thing. I would dope them with truth drugs and I would get them to tell me what happened. Um, and then I, I still wouldn't believe them because it's, you know, flying saucers. Exus, Exus Corlin asks, anything that you came across in passing that you wish was written about more back when it happened? Um, the one that jumps out to me is the Maury Island case from Washington State. There's been a lot written about it after the fact, but it was an early enough incident right in that first flying saucer summer of 1947 that it was almost a pre-UFO investigation era incident. There's a lot of weird stuff about that whole deal. We'll be covering it in an upcoming episode. But I think Maury Island, if, if, if people had been investigating saucer sightings at that point, you know, Maury Island is where I wish they would want to be. Uh, Shorthall Scott from Twitter says, what do you think is the best picture of a UFO? Uh, I've always been partial to the McMinnville, Oregon photo. I like that one. I like the amount of research that's gone into trying to authenticate it or debunk it. Um, I like the angle of the saucer. I like the fact that it's a saucer and not a cigar-shaped craft. I I do not like cigar-shaped crafts. This is not the the cigar-shaped craft life. Um, I'm a flying saucer man. Michael Reynolds asks a non-UFO-related question. How did you discover Faulty Towers? What other British comedies do you appreciate? And he recommends Michael Palin's Ripping Yarns, as do I. Uh, It all started when I was in, I think, 7th or 8th grade, and I saw Red Dwarf when when it first started up. And I was lucky that I lived in an area where the PBS station uh, always had a good rotation of British comedies in circulation. Uh, in high school, um, as did almost everybody else of my generation, I um, my sort of middle-class, dorky white guys who grew up in the 80s and, and you know, went to college in the 90s, and my generation discovered Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I also also really liked Are You Being Served? Um, Are You Being Served is, is great fun. 
I'm pretty sure I read every script for the Monty Python's Flying Circus TV show before actually seeing a single episode because the local library had the script books that were published in the early 90s. But uh, my friends and I would would buy the the cassettes of uh, of Monty Python skits, the audio cassettes, not video cassettes, and uh, watch the movies and, and all kinds of stuff. Because many of these questions came in on Twitter, you have people playing off of people's previous questions. So we have Hillary asking, what isn't UFO? And I think what isn't UFO is best answered by saying, um, Bigfoot and uh, cheeseburgers and the Thundercats and my lamp and aliens. That's my list of things that aren't UFO. It's not exclusive. It's not exhaustive. Moonliar says... The contemporary saucer life seems to be very different circa 2019 than what has been covered across various historic eras in your episodes. What aspects of this new era of saucers intrigues you the most? Are there any new theories or paradigms that have caught your attention? Or do you feel maybe the big influencers of our future saucer lives and human relationship to this enigma that remains a persistent part of human culture? That is a really good question. I would contend to a degree that um, there, there really are no truly new theories or paradigms that are out there. Uh, I will say I am glad that there are some things that seem to be um, churning to the top uh, of, the, of the UFO, uh, of, the, of the UFO sort of, you know, melange. Lately, I think the resurgence or a resurgence in popularity of linking uh, UFO stuff to um, to other paranormal happenings, uh, hauntings, for example, um, and and to folklore. I like that. I'm glad that's back. I think that there are some some interesting parts of the the enigma um, that that come out through that and I think it does sort of connect it to that that um, that persistent part of human culture thing you mentioned so I like that I like the idea and, and the fact that there are uh, a number of old stories uh, Mothman stories and Flatwoods monster and, and the Kelly Hopkinsville um, goblins that that unlike in the 80s and 90s, there are people who are, you know, talking about these things again. So I like, I like that. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is what I like most about the new era of saucers and the modern era of saucers is there are more people talking about old, <laughs> old stuff that, uh, that I like. If I could talk about something I don't like or, or not don't like, but I'm, I'm kind of tired of. I think the uh, the, the persistent um, sort of you know disclosure movement is. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm so bored with it. I'm so bored. Um, so bored. I know the answer is just around the corner. It's always just around the corner. It's, it will always be just around the corner, and eventually, even though the government's been lying to you for decades, 
somebody from the government will actually tell the truth and finally tell you what's going on. Um, everybody is skeptical until something comes along that flatters their pre-existing viewpoint about what these things are, whether it's consciousness, whether it's nuts and bolts, whether it's all an intelligence operation designed to, to screw with people. Everybody has their own little niche thing they like, including me. So I think one last thing that in, intrigues me the most is the the role that that social media plays in the contemporary saucer life. Um, YouTube videos from people talking about things, Twitter arguments that go on and on, Facebook comment threads that eventually make you just want to you know shoot your computer. Everything moves very quickly. Uh, a story comes up, it's discussed intensely for 72 hours and then disappears forever. It's a very interesting time. And it's also a very exhausting sort of way to try to keep up with things. That was a rambly answer, but, uh, but it was a good question. I liked that. Okay, that is enough for now, because sometimes these Ask Anything episodes of podcasts can go, can go on and on and on. Next time, we talk rabbit holes, authors I've not heard of, the co-creation hypothesis, and a score of other things. So um, more questions next time. Thanks for listening. Um, I, I'm not going to do the regular closing spiel here. You know how to get a hold of me. Um, I'll see you next time. And keep watching the skies because the skies, as you know, are watching you.